I'm going to tell you, uh, back in the day when I was a baseball player, there were, uh, there were guys that I knew was pitching against me, and I was like, man, this is going to be a tough day. But there was also the time when I played baseball, and there was this guy named David Salisbury, and I said, I'm glad I'm on his team because I don't have to bat against him. I'm glad I'm on Mr. Wayne's team because <laughs> he always pitches a no-hitter in my opinion. And so uh, that just made me think this morning, I'm glad that we sing and we preach about the one true God, and we sing and we preach about Jesus Christ, because we, we are not in competition against each other, we're in competition with each other. We are fishers of men. And last week we began this gospel journey, we dug into the book of Mark, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to turn there, Mark chapter 1. Uh, We were digging into Mark chapter 1, and if you'll remember, John Mark tells us that he has good news, good news about Jesus the Messiah, Jesus who is the Son of God. Now, we know that John Mark's audience was a Gentile people who lived in Rome. Uh, John Mark himself was a Jew, but he had a heart for the Gentiles who lived in Rome. He wanted them to know the truth about Jesus Christ. He wanted them to know about his life and his work. He he told them that God had prepared a way for them, and the way was Jesus. And we saw that John the Baptist came along. God prepared John the Baptist to be his messenger, to to make way, to make, make ready the way for Jesus Christ. And so his message was really simple. You could sum up John the Baptist's message with one word, repent, repent. He preached a message of repentance. And if you'll remember, Jesus Christ came to John the Baptist and he came to him and said, I want you to baptize me. And of course, John the Baptist felt unworthy. He felt like he could, he was not qualified to do so. And to be honest with you, he wasn't in and of himself, but God prepared him and God made this opportunity for him. And so Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And what we see in Jesus is we see servanthood. We see servant ministry uh, taking place and beginning. As a matter of fact, we see it characterized by his obedience. Jesus was obedient to God the Father. And the Bible tells us right here in Mark chapter 1 that God was well pleased with his Son. And so Jesus continued to practice servanthood. He continued to practice obedience and he followed the Spirit. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. And so Jesus followed the Spirit into the wilderness. And if you'll remember, he was tempted by Satan. But I can tell you this, Jesus never sinned. Now, John Mark has a what I would call a condensed version of the gospel when you compare it to other gospels. The other gospel writers like Matthew and Luke, they go into a lot more details. But again, if you'll remember John Mark's audience... It was the Romans, right? The Gentiles who lived in Rome, they had a short attention span. So Mark got right to the point. He said Jesus obeyed the Father through baptism. He obeyed the Spirit by going into the wilderness, and he defeated Satan in the wilderness because Satan tempted him, but he never sinned. The Bible says that he was there with wild animals, yet the angels were there to attend him. And so all these preparations have been made. All these preparations have been made for the good news, the gospel, not just with words, but with life and with actions. And so Jesus is here. Now in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus make a proclamation. 
He's going to make a proclamation of truth to the world, and he's also going to offer an invitation into servanthood, into kingdom service, kingdom ministry. That word proclamation, it's an interesting word because in, the, in this time, in the New Testament time, especially Mark's time, they had these people called heralds. And what a herald would do is he would stand in the most public place. He, he would stand in a place where more people were at and he would yell at the top of his voice what needed to be said. And so a proclamation, what that means is it means a formal an official, and a public declaration. That's what it is, a proclamation. It is a formal, it is an official, and it is a public proclamation. And so this is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry on earth, his, his public earthly ministry. And not only that, he's going to make a proclamation, but what's even greater than that is he's going to make an invitation. And that word invitation means something as well. See, an invitation, it is a formal request to attend or to participate. And so you're going to hear me stress those words a lot today. Public, right? Public proclamation and participation in the invitation. So if I invite you, if I invite you to come with me, or if I invite you to my house, if I invite you to see or to do anything with me, it's not just to sit and watch. It's to be a part of participation. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's making a proclamation, but he's doing so with an invitation. And we're going to see that very clearly today in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. So let's look at the proclamation. Let's look at that first. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming, there's that word, proclaim, a public, an official, right, announcement. And so it says Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What an awesome proclamation. See, I believe Jesus proclaims the good news with four aspects of understanding. Alright? So in two verses, Jesus goes into four different aspects to proclaim the good news and he wants us to understand it. So first of all, he uses time. Time is the first aspect of understanding of what Jesus has to say. The good news and the kingdom of God is here. So time, the time is now. Jesus, he says the time has come. It's the time you've been waiting for. It's the time that has been talked about. If you remember, John previously said, After me comes the one more powerful than I. So John was preparing them for the time. And he says, after me, after my message, after my ministry, there's going to be the one who comes. And when he comes, it's time. And so what does Jesus say? The time has come. What he was saying was, I am here. That's what he was saying. Time has been fulfilled. God's plan, God's purpose is here. And so he uses that aspect of time. He also uses the aspect of kingdom. Did you hear him say that? The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom is near. Jesus, he says the kingdom of God is near. And I'm going to tell you, that is a hotly debated message. 
What does Jesus mean, the kingdom of God is near? I'm going to tell you, theologians discuss it. Uh, Some have this interpretation, some have that interpretation. What does Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of God is near? Well, the kingdom of God represents the rule, the authority of God. It represents the reign of God. And so when you think of kingdom, think of a ruler, think of a reign, of the king of kings. I love what biblical scholar Mark Strauss says. Listen to what he says in his commentary. He says, Jesus was teaching both the present and future dimensions of God's kingdom when he says the kingdom is near. Why? Because the kingdom has been inaugurated through the life of Jesus Christ. It will continue in the death of Jesus Christ. It will continue in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, the kingdom also awaits final consummation when Jesus Christ will return in the future. So I love how biblical scholar Mark Strauss, how he says it. He says, look, when Jesus says the kingdom is near, he's looking at it as present tense and future tense. Yes, the rule and the reign of God is here, but the rule and the reign of God is going to continue until it is final. And so I love what he says there. He goes on and he says, Jesus proclaims the kingdom as both present and future, but he also proclaims God's kingdom as already, but not yet. (laughs) I love that. And so we see the aspect of time. We see the aspect of kingdom when Jesus says, I have good news. I am the good news. The good news is here. The time is come. The kingdom of God is near. He's talking about an awesome proclamation. And he not only wants you to hear it, he wants you to understand it. So what does it take besides time? What does it take besides understanding time and kingdom? Well, he uses the word repent. Do you see it? Repentance is another aspect of understanding when it comes to the good news that Jesus has. What does repent mean? It means to turn from sin and turn to God. And so Jesus, like John the Baptist has already said, he says repent. Repentance is acknowledging and taking ownership of your sin. Listen, repentance is not just, I'm sorry you caught me, God. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is humility. God, I am guilty before you. I did this. It's me. It's taking ownership of sin. It's not pointing fingers or blaming. You know what we like to do, right? When we mess up, when we fall, when we sin, you know what we like to do? We like to quickly turn it around and push it to somebody else. Well, if he wouldn't have said this to me, I wouldn't have done that. If she wouldn't have handed me the fruit, I wouldn't have ate it. Isn't that what Adam did? God, if you wouldn't have put her here, then I wouldn't have been tempted. I I mean, we can go on and on and on. Listen to me. Let me tell you what repentance is not. Repentance is not blaming someone else for something you chose to do. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry you caught me. Next time I'll try harder to hide it. (laughs) Repentance is, I'm guilty. I deserve death. I deserve your wrath, God. Because it's me. It's mine. Repentance is acknowledging and taking ownership of our sinfulness. We are guilty before Almighty God. And again, the connection here between repentance and kingdom, it's it's real simple. Why, Why am I repenting of sin and turning to God? Because God in His kingdom rules and reigns. 
God says what is right and what is wrong, and I either agree with it or I don't. But my opinion don't change what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to tell you, that's what's wrong with America today. That's what's wrong with our world today. We're trying to, to, to change the wording up, right? Just, just take this word out or just change this word to this. We're trying, we're trying to make it to where we can agree with what's right and what's wrong in our own kind of way rather than saying, you know what, God said it. That's what's right and that's what's wrong. And I'm going to tell you, that's what Satan loves. He, he wants you to try to finagle it a little bit, twist it a little bit, turn it a little bit to where it pleases you rather than what pleases God. And so repentance is turning away from our sin. And turning to God because God has all rule. God has all authority. It's His kingdom, not mine. And so we see time. We see kingdom. We see repentance. But not only that, in the proclamation, this is a good part, we see belief. Jesus says believe, right? He doesn't just say repent and then stop. He says repent and believe the good news. So to believe means to trust Jesus, when he says, believe the good news, he's using the Hebrew language. And in the Hebrew language, the word faith could be used as a verb. So what Jesus was really saying was he was saying, repent and faith. See, in the Hebrew language, the word faith can be used as a verb. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, believe is the old word, yare. Yare, it means to have faith, it means to have trust, it means to believe. Why? Because you fear God reverently. So Jesus was saying, fear God with reverence. What I'm telling you is the truth. Fear God with reverence. It also is the New Testament Greek word, pistis. Pistis means to trust with firm conviction. That's what it means. And I love the Holman Bible Dictionary. The Holman Bible Dictionary states this, to fear God is to maintain that firm conviction that the Lord's directives are reliable, protective, and beneficial. I love that. And so what we need to understand is that true belief in Jesus Christ is born out of repentance. Don't tell me you believe in Jesus Christ if you have not first repented. Because belief True reverence and fear of God is born out of repentance. Jesus doesn't say believe and then repent. What does he say? He says repent and believe. Don't miss the order. When Jesus speaks, the order is always important. And so we see time, we see kingdom, we see repentance, and we see belief. I love what R. Kent Hughes says. Pastor R. Kent Hughes says belief is all that is necessary to become a Christian, but it must be a belief that changes your life. If you say you believe, but there has been no substantial change in your life, you better consider carefully if you have truly believed. See, I think there's a lot of people out there, a lot of people out there who claim to be Christian. A lot of people out there who claim to be in right relationship with God. But I also believe that a lot of people are using words. They're using words. You know, anybody can say, I believe in God. Anybody can say, I'm a Christian. Anybody can say that with words. I'm going to tell you, your actions will always speak a lot louder than your words. 
And I'm talking about your actions when you're at home alone, or your actions when you're in the workplace, or your actions when you are with God's people at the church house. God sees you. God knows you. He knows what is real and what is right and what is true. You better be careful because you can fool me, but you can't fool God. And the Bible also says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to get it right on this side, on this side of eternity. I want to get it right because I am humbly repentant. God, I'm guilty. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that your way is right and your way is true. And God, I have rebelled against you. I have rejected your commands. God, I'm a sinner. But God, I also know that you love me. You say in your word that while I'm a sinner, Christ still died for me. And so God, I believe that. See, repentance leads me to belief. And so I believe that God loved me so much that he gave his one and only son that if I would confess my sins turn from my sins and believe in Him that He would give me life full and eternal, everlasting life. And so Jesus proclaims that good news. In fact, He is that good news. Mark says He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's come to save us from our sins. I'm going to tell you, that's a proclamation right there worth shouting. That's a proclamation right there worth listening to. That's a proclamation worth embracing. Amen? But I'm going to show you something. Because the proclamation comes with an invitation. This is so beautiful. Look at Mark chapter 1 beginning in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 17. Three words. Come, follow me. Don't you love that? The invitation. Come, follow me. Follow me, Jesus said. And then he says this, I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Jesus, and what we see here, he didn't just make a proclamation, Jesus made an invitation. Jesus invited others to join him in kingdom ministry. Now don't forget this, what does the word invite mean? It means don't just come with me, it means to participate, right? So Jesus made a public proclamation. The good news is here, the time is now. The kingdom of God is near, a public proclamation. And then he makes an invitation, which is, hey, come follow me and participate. Participate. This invitation wasn't merely to sit around and watch what Jesus was doing. This invitation was, come be a part of what Jesus is doing. And I'm going to tell you, we see two incredible truths in this invitation. You ready? Two truths in the invitation. First and foremost, we see an incredible promise from Jesus. Right? He says, come and follow me, but look what he says next. I will. Do you see that? He 
He says, I will. In other words, I'm going to do something to you and through you. This is a promise. He says, I will send you out to fish for people. In other words, Jesus is going to equip them. Jesus is going to empower them to do this incredible kingdom work. He is going to lead them not just to servanthood. He's going to lead them in servanthood. Now I want to stop for just a second. Has anybody, has anybody in here ever been asked to be on a ministry team at the church? Probably most of you, if not all of you, you've been asked to serve. How many of you ever said, well, let me pray about that? Right? You've said that before? How many of you said, well, the time's just not right? Hey, listen, how many of you have, have come up with this reason and that reason and this reason and that reason not to serve on a ministry team? Has any of those reasons ever been, I'm not, I'm not qualified? Have you ever just said to yourself, well, I'm not good enough? Have you ever said, well, what if, I, what if I mess it up? What if I fail? Now, I can't answer to every reason why you said no to serve on this team or that team or to serve in this project or this experience. I, I, I can't answer every one of those, but I can tell you this. When God calls you to something... You either trust God or you don't. Do you trust God if He's calling you to something? Do you trust Him to equip you? Do, do you trust Him to empower you? Because if you do, you know, what, you know what trusting God does? It casts fear aside. Fear can no longer have a hold of you. I, I love this because Jesus, when He offered this invitation, it was an invitation tied to a promise. Tied to a promise. I will send you out. I will send you out to fish for people. I will empower you. I will equip you. Just follow me. Not only do we see that truth, we see another truth. And this is so awesome. Now, I told you this last week, but I'm going to tell you again. John Mark likes to use the words immediately, and he likes to use the words at once. Immediately, at once. You're going to see him say that all the time. All the time. And so what we see right here is we see an immediate surrender from four men. Don't miss this. Immediate surrender from four men. First of all, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, what did they do? It says they left. What did they leave? They left their nets at once. Do you see those words? They left their nets at once to do what? To follow Jesus. You know what they did in that moment when Jesus said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people, they didn't go, oh, what do you think? They didn't say, um, can I poll the audience? Can I call a friend? Right? They, that's not what it says. It says at once they left their nets. Immediate surrender. Not only that, look at James and John, the sons of Zebedee. What does it say? It says James and John left their father and the boat and the nets without delay. Without delay. I'm going to say those two words again. Without delay. How many times has God called you to 
do this or do that or go here and go there and you delayed because you wanted to get more evidence or more proof or more, you wanted to build up more trust. How many times do we delay? How many times do we delay when God calls? I speak from experience. Listen, I'm not casting stones here, and I'm not pointing fingers. Did you notice I put my hands in my pockets just then? I was to be very careful not to point fingers. You want to know why? Because I'm guilty. I'm guilty of letting doubt creep in. Not just creep in, I'm, le- I'm, I'm guilty of letting doubt crash in to me. I'm guilty of being fearful. Not just being fearful, but living fearful. In my home... Yes, even in my workplace at times. And my workplace happens to be your house. God's house. Yeah, I'm guilty. I've I've been there. I've done that. And there are so many times when I sit on my hands, when I ought to be standing on my feet. There are so many times, and listen to me, I do believe we need to be prayerful. But how many times do we have to pray to hear God keep saying the same thing? I guess I'm the only one. No amens on that. God says, do this. Well, let me pray. God says, hey, do this. Well, I'm still praying. How many times are you going to keep praying? Trying to get God to do it your way rather than you saying yes to God doing it his way. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. I love this immediate surrender. Listen to me. They didn't just leave a net. They didn't just leave a boat. They didn't just leave a father. You know what they left? They left what they knew they were good at. They left the place and the people where they were comfortable. And they stepped foot into the unknown. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't really know what they were doing other than Jesus said, I'll send you out to fish for people. The Bible says they left immediately, at once. They left without delay. You know what this was? This was complete surrender. How many of us can stand up today and say, God, I am completely surrendered to you? How many of us can stand up and say that? Because I'm going to tell you, you might feel good about yourself saying, you know what, I'm 90% surrendered. That's a pretty good number, right? I mean, on a test, that's a strong B. You might even say, you know what, I'm 80% surrendered. You might be satisfied with the C. I'm going to tell you something. God don't grade on a curve. Because Jesus is going to tell us a little later on in the book of Mark, God wants all of your heart. All of your mind. All of your strength. God wants all. Does that sound like 90% is good enough? Not to me. Does that sound like 80% is good? It might be good, but it's not what God wants. God wants all. This was complete surrender from these four men. Again, Mark understands that his listeners are Romans. Short attention spans. And so what does he do? He gets straight to the point. This was a proclamation of Jesus. The time is now. In other words, what are you waiting for? What excuse are you going to use today? What are you doing The proclamation is, the good news is here. Jesus said, I'm here. The kingdom of God is near. The the invitation, 
from Jesus is just as simple. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. As Mark tells his listeners in his day, I'm telling my listeners today that the king is here. And and the time is now. His name is Jesus. Eternity has already begun for you and for me. As Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. It's built on His life. It's built on His death. It's built upon His resurrection. But I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be consummated because Jesus made another promise a little later on. Jesus said, I will come again. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that. Here's Here's the truth. I never called Mr. Wayne and said, Mr. Wayne, here's what passage I'm on. I never called Mr. Wayne and said, hey, will you sing these songs? Did you hear the songs he sang this morning? I had no doubt. I had no doubt that that Mr. Wayne was going to sing the songs that God laid on his heart. And did you hear the songs he sang? It was kingdom ministry, and it was also present and future. Did you hear him talk about that new Jerusalem? Huh? That's pretty awesome. That's how God works. That's how God works. So I want to ask you two questions as we close today. Two questions. What about now? What about now? What about today? See, in just a few moments, we're going to have invitation. We're going to have some announcements. We're going to have a closing prayer. And then you're just going to walk out that door. What, what are you going to do with now? What are you going to do with today? Because here's the truth. You've heard the proclamation. The proclamation wasn't just made to those in Galilee. The proclamation was shared in Rome by John Mark. And the proclamation has been shared by Brother Jeff today in Start. The invitation wasn't just for Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. As you will see, there's going to be others who are invited. And and Jesus is still inviting today. He's inviting right now. And where does it start? It starts with repentance and belief. Don't miss that. The proclamation came before the invitation. And repentance comes before belief. So before you say, yeah, I believe, you better say, am I repentant? Repentance, belief, proclamation, invitation, come follow me. In other words, are you ready to leave your comfortable place? Are you ready to leave your comfortable people? Are you ready to go wherever Jesus says go and do whatever Jesus says do? Do you believe that He's calling you not just to watch what's going on at the church, but to be a part of it? What what are you going to do with right now? What are you going to do with today? And, and, And then the second question is, how have you responded to Jesus? How have you responded to Jesus? How have you responded to that proclamation that the good news is here, that the kingdom of God is near? How have you responded to that invitation? I pray that you've said yes to Jesus because you want to know something? The only other response is no. Think about that for just a moment. There's only two answers to the invitation to Jesus. It's either yes or no. You can't say, I'll wait. You know what I'll wait is? You know what I'll wait is? It's no. You know what delayed obedience is? 
It's disobedience. If you don't believe me, go read the book of Joshua. Sunday night crowd, have we not talked about that? Delayed obedience, what did it get them? It got them in a bad spot and in a bad place. You want to know why? Because the Lord was calling for immediate obedience, not delayed. How how many excuses are we going to make with God? Whether it be salvation or whether it be servant ministry, I'm going to tell you something. Until you say yes, then your response is no, no matter how you word it, no matter how pretty you box it up and put a bow on it. I'm going to tell you, like those hellfire and brimstone evangelists, (laughs) they go out and preach repentance and belief. Don't wait another second. Don't wait another hour. Don't wait another day because you are not guaranteed another one. The Bible says this life is like a what? A mist. Some versions say a a vapor. it's, It's here today and gone tomorrow. The other day I was hunting out in my stand, and and when I got up to go, I didn't realize just how foggy it was. And you know what I said in my mind? Man, it's too foggy to see anything. I'm going to go back to the house. But then I realized the truth about the fog. When the sun comes up, guess what happens to the fog? It's gone. It was there, but in just a few seconds, in just a few minutes, it was gone. What about now? What about today? How have you or how will you respond to Jesus? Because I'm going to tell you, Jesus said it right here. The time is now. You know what that means? There is no tomorrow. If the time is now, that means there is no tomorrow. How many of you like the old Rocky movies? Anybody? You got any Rocky fans? Yeah, I I love the Rocky movies. Marty's got to get mad at me because when when I'm turning the channels and Rocky's on, we ain't turning the channels no more. It don't matter which one it is, and it don't matter how many times I've seen it. But I will tell you that Rocky Three is one of my favorites. Okay, so Rocky Three, if you'll remember, there's a guy, a big bad dude named Mr. T. <laughs> and, and, and Mr. T in the movie is named Clubber Lane. What an awesome name for a boxer, right? Clubber Lane. And, and if you'll remember, Rocky's trainer, Mickey, dies. And Rocky goes into the ring, and Clubber Lane just clubbers him. (laughs) Whips him, just beats him down. And and, and Rocky's ready to quit. And his wife talks to him, and Rocky decides, you know what, I'm going to give it another shot. But he doesn't give it another shot with all of who he is. You you, you remember, those of you who have seen Rocky III, you know what I'm talking about? He kind of goes into it halfway. He says, well, you know, I was the champion, and so I got that background. So I'll, I'll do this. I'll go train. Well, guess who trains him? Apollo Creed. <laughs> the one he fought against in Rocky and Rocky II. So Apollo Creed, he, he looks at it and he's like, dude, we can't let this guy, Clubber Lane, be the champ. He's so disrespectful. He's such a bad dude. Rocky, you can do this. He's got all these people in his corner, right? But Rocky's still half-heartedly in it. So he goes in there and he hits on the punching bag and he does this little running thing. And, and then he gets into the ring with, with Apollo Creed who's training him. And, he, and he's fighting and Apollo Creed is just wearing him out. And he's like, Rocky, what's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? He says it like three times. What's the matter with you? And Rocky's like, I don't know. He said, let's just come back tomorrow. That's what Rocky said. Let's just come back tomorrow. You know what Apollo Creed said to him? 
Somebody who's watched the movie, say it out loud. Any, okay, I guess I'm the only one to watch that movie. It's what you get. And this is being filmed. Anyway, Apollo Creed says very clearly, There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! And that's how he said it. And he meant it. He said, you either decide right now, or it's over. Now, I don't mean to be so passionate, but at the same time, I do. Because there's a bunch of people playing games with God right now. And there's a bunch of people right now playing games with salvation who think, I'm going to be fine tomorrow. Oh, I'm going to be fine. I'll, I'll do this when I get married and when I get a job and everything gets right. Let me just tell you something. There is no tomorrow. Who promised you that? Who told you that there was a tomorrow? There's right now. And if the Holy Spirit of God is stirring you, you better listen and you better be ready to make a decision. Because I'm going to tell you something. God says the Lord's Spirit will not tarry forever. In other words, there is no tomorrow. You better be careful. You better be careful. Because you'll walk out of this building today and it could be your last. And if it is your last on this earth, there is no tomorrow to say yes to Jesus. When you die, you will meet God face to face. And you will give an account for everything you've ever ever said and everything you've ever done. And you will be found innocent by the blood of Jesus or you will be found guilty because you chose to reject Him. And there ain't no coming back and there ain't no making a choice there. There is no tomorrow. The time is now. That's the proclamation and that's the invitation and Jesus has made it. What about now? What about today? What will you do?